You're listening to Data Plus Love. I'm your host, Zach Bowders, and I'm here this week with JR Capreros. You probably know JR, despite his fairly small portfolio, as a mighty one, because every time he drops a viz, it is one of the most exciting, vibrant vizs that you will see that week. Um, without further ado, JR, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, Zach, and yourself. I'm doing really well, too. I'm excited to speak with you. So we did a little warm-up talking before we officially kicked off the podcast, and um, I was saying I couldn't believe that we hadn't actually talked in person before, because it felt like we talked like a thousand times online and stuff. So now that I'm talking to you, like actually looking at you and conversing, it just feels so organic that yeah. uh, it was kind of weird. Well, you know, likewise, and it's, um, and I think that's what's been just a product of the pandemic. Like we've just been more exposed to just uh, online, you know, um, community and whatnot, and just even online, it feels quite organic. So this to me is a cherry on the top. I mean, I guess so. Like the more all of us have transitioned to virtual work environments, and for me, having moved to JLL and my position being 100% virtual all the time, um, you know, there is definitely an adjustment of what human interaction is going to be like. And uh, having to get used to a virtual interaction being as real as the in-face, you know, interactions you might prefer or, you know, used to have. I'm sure a lot of people are a lot happier with this setup as well. Like, particularly if you're a little bit shy or a type B, like maybe having more um, screen time is an easier way to communicate to people. No, for sure. For sure. Uh, and I, I dabble in music a bit. And uh, one of the things that people like to do is hide behind their instruments, right? So whether you're playing a guitar or playing a piano. So it's like with, with virtual meetings, like you're essentially, you, you've got a laptop and a screen to kind of protect yourself from the rest of the world. So, yeah. You say that as I'm half hidden behind this uh, podcast boom mic, like from the the nose down. I'm like the shadow over here, like instead of being wrapped up in like a big <laughs> scarf, I've just got this big red microphone, which uh, I don't know. I guess I could use this in work meetings, but that feels a little excessive. And I think people would look yeah. at me weird. No, yeah, totally, totally. Um, but I've I've definitely seen people up there uh, work home setup. Like I I know people who use DSLR cameras for their webcams and whatnot. So, yeah, I guess if this is going to be for a little longer, might as well uh, make it sound more professional. I mean, yeah, you you could you could go that route and go with I want absolute clarity. You could also go like the more bizarre route. And, uh, you know, like streamers and stuff, you could like look like an animated bunny instead of your actual yeah. representation. Yeah. So like, yeah, you're, you're in the middle of a meeting and you're discussing the, how Q4 figures are not as promising as we <laughs> hoped. And people are like, oh, man, like Ryan, the bunny is like having a bad quarter. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, you know what? We started with, uh, with virtual backgrounds now. So definitely, I think we're warming people up through the idea of avatars now. So <laughs> it's good. I am all about uh, the wackiness. At my old job, uh, I came to the realization one day, I think we were getting coffee one morning. I'm like, do you ever notice like everything Droopy Dog sounds like bad news because he starts each sentence <laughs> with, oh, dear, like, oh, dear, like, yeah. so, like, even if he's coming to tell you something positive, you're like, oh, man, Droopy's got something to say. Like, this isn't going to be good. Oh, yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, I can't see that happening. So that, that's been a totally like wacky, zany start to all of this. Uh, so let's actually talk about something Viz related, shall we? You dropped a really cool Viz this past week. Um, I think it was this past week. It may have been last week, but it was your Stevie Wonder visualization. And one of the things I love whenever I see your work pop up, first of all, I can always tell it's yours before like I actually see whose it is. Um, but you're very good at use of white space. Like um, 
your visits never feel cramped or crowded. There's always enough room for sort of the image to breathe, but also your use of the text is very well done, both in like sort of alignment placement and font, which font's something I struggle with. I'm not super good at that. And especially since Tableau has, I'm going to say it, guys, Tableau has a limited useful font library. Yeah. Stick to the Tableau fonts themselves and you're cool. Stray outside of that and you're really playing like Russian roulette with how things are going to yeah. work out um, when published. So I assume most people, uh, I know I do, uh, go outside of Tableau and just create images for a lot of their fonts. But um, what is sort of your method? Like, how have you come to sort of your visual? I'm, I'm James Lipton now. How have you come to your visual style? Like, where did this come from? Yeah, so great question. Um, so a lot of it does stem from uh, what I've seen from the community and not just the uh, the Tableau community or the, or the data fan community at large, but even on Pinterest and, uh, you know, Behance or Dribbble and stuff like that. Um, so I'm not a designer by background. I come actually come from probably the least creative uh, <laughs> background in terms of accounting. So a lot of it has just been picked up through just uh, my observations of, what kind of good looks like. Um, I've got some friends who are designers, so they they kind of rope me in to do to, to some of the stuff that they do. And even though half the time I don't understand it, uh, I've, I've learned to appreciate it uh, to the point where uh, my wife hates this, but um, I'll, I'll often and oftentimes decide whether or not I go inside a restaurant based on the typography of their, uh, of, of their sign, right? So bad typography. Typography means bad uh, restaurants. So, um, so wait. So yeah, so I'm slowly. Yeah. You're walking down the street. Your wife's like, "Oh man, brunch here," and you're like, "No, that's papyrus. Screw that." Like you're like, "We're walking." <laughs> like no. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, exactly. It's not just restaurants. Like, even businesses. Like I'll just be like, mm. if they didn't put that much effort into you know their their branding, maybe <laughs> maybe the product's not that good. <laughs> but yeah, I no, love, it's. Uh, I love that. Um, yeah, and but other than that, um, I'm slowly just trying to become more, um, I guess, design savvy just through practice. And uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer of like practice makes permanent. And uh, I try to really um, uh, get gain inspiration from others. Uh, and you know that saying that steal like an artist right from Austin Kleon. Um, and I just try to re- reverse engineer the good that I see and try to iterate on it uh, as much as I can. Um, and some of it I, I learn and I pick up on accident and only find out later that it was like a design rule, right? But um, but yeah, so uh, I'm slowly learning the fundamentals now just to make sure that um, I'm on the right track. One of the things I really appreciate about your work um, beyond the artistry of it, because it is, you do create art visits. Um, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. That can be a used as a dismissive saying like, this person creates art visits. They're not like serious. Um is you love to bake in a lot of extra features. So like a lot of your visits contain paging, they contain click-throughs to music and stuff. Um, and, on, you know, this is a tangent. I, it kills me that paging doesn't work correctly on Tableau Public. How many yeah. wonderful visits are there out there? You've made some, uh, um, thousands of people have made them, that they are designed to be animated. They're designed to be seen in motion. And you can't use them that way on server. The only way is to convince someone to download it to their desktop and do yeah. it. Or at best, you create a GIF of it and they see that on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever and say, oh, that's what this was meant to be. Yeah, no, it's so, uh, that's exactly what, uh, what happens is they um, they see, you know, the GIF and they see like the, um, the interactions, right? But um 
for some reason, it doesn't always translate to that smooth or that quick experience that the gift promised. Um, but yeah, but um, yeah, hopefully that changed. And uh, I know things are, are improving each time. So yeah, you never know. So what makes you want to bake in so many, I, I would almost call them bonus features into your visas. When you're first coming up with your concept, like the Stevie Wonder Viz, did you know you were going to want to include like click through some music and stuff like that? Or was it, I have an idea for this. And then those uh, add-ins, you know, like the mix-ins come later. Yeah. So I think for me, um, I'm a big fan of like beginning with the audience in mind. And sometimes when you're, I guess, all the time when you're creating a public viz, you really uh, don't know, um, you can't really hone in on like a, a particular audience. So you want to make sure that you you can stay high level, but also give the uh, people the option to kind of choose their own adventure and really dig in if they if they want to, right? Um, and with the Stevie Wonder viz, um, I knew that because it was a music viz that, um, uh, you know, there's like 200 plus songs on there and not everyone probably knows like, what, what you know i'm pretty sure everyone knows what superstition sounds like right but like um how how do you actually experience what you're what you're seeing visually on screen and giving people the people that 30 minute uh, that 30 second snippet i thought was a very important part of the experience i think that's definitely a good value it's always fun to see music uh, incorporated into visits because anything you can sort of do to lift it off the page beyond sort of the flat image whether that be adding three dimensionality in terms of the motion you create through paging or embedding video or adding music or anything like that sort of creates a more unique and customized experience. And I always appreciate that. Like any interactivity is fun. It makes me feel like yeah. a kid. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, yeah, you'll, you end up becoming more engaged with the, uh, the product or the visualization at hand. And I think uh, that's a win in any day. And uh, to me, I think that, that goes, that applies in my work dashboards as well. Uh, like something that, that will draw people in, that will cause them to stay longer in it. And the byproduct of that is they, they, they get more intimate with the data and they actually um, get familiar with uh, what they're seeing more and more often. That's a great point. Um, I've started a new job in the past few months, obviously. And for me, it's been a great time of growth in that area, particularly since at my previous role in my old job, a lot of my time was spent data wrangling. I think I was saying this to you beforehand. Um, my old job didn't have any published data sources and we didn't really have views where you could just use the view itself. So a lot of my time was writing custom SQL queries, um, views, stored procedures in order to even get to the point where you could begin to construct the dashboard. Now at my current job, it's a lot easier. I've got views. Uh, Ultrix is a product that is open to me. So uh, between all of that, it can be a lot quicker actually getting the data together. And then once you have that, it's now onto the dashboard. And I'm also fortunate to work at a place that uh, has sort of their own dashboard template, which also comes with their own dashboard rules. And I think Simon was kind enough to put that out there, which is interesting because if you're sort of outside JLL and you're looking at this template, you're like, oh, this is interesting. They've got a template. What you might not realize is we sort of have a... Uh, I'm not going to call it hazing. There is there's a there's a um a project you have to go through using the template and then sort of pass it on to get approval and then you're allowed to start developing in Tableau. So it's a now build into the template, which uh, if yeah. you're not used to working uh with a a firm set of rules like we work on something this size, don't have more than this many things on a page. You know, our standard font for this is that, but it's this for over here. Like at first, having about a hundred rules. It, arduous but as soon as you start to get inside the system and it starts to click 
it's incredibly liberating to have some form of limitation because all of a sudden your creativity is like, okay, so working within the boundaries of this, what can I do to make this awesome? Yeah, no, it's, and I think to add to that, um, it almost reduces your decision fatigue because you don't have to decide what font to use or what colors to use because that's already decided for you, right? Uh, And you you get to really explore um, the stuff beyond that. That's an incredibly valid point. I I don't think I'd heard the term decision fatigue until right now, because when it feels like everything is on the table, um, you would think that would be a freeing experience. But in many ways, there is no more crippling feeling than knowing this could go in literally any direction. I mean, that's why you do scoping sessions for projects in the first place, because if you don't define like, what does victory look like? There can be no victory. Because you're never going to achieve this end state if no one knows what that's supposed to be. Oh, yeah, Um, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, it's it's, it's really fun to be able to work within that new new mindset. Do you have anything like that that you've had uh, in your current role or previous roles where you sort of have boundaries that sort of pen you in but sort of unlock creativity for you? Yeah, so um, you talk about templates for dashboards. So... uh, Back in my old role, I actually created a template for for Alter, where um, we kind of broke it down into your like standard um, processes when it comes to process analytic process automation, right? From extraction to transformation to blending, and we kind of give give people like these um, guardrails so that you, you have to clean your data first before you kind of blended it, right? It's it's kind of um, it's uh, we take it for granted, but for you know. Uh, in, in my old role, uh, we did a whole digital upskilling uh, uh, initiative where we were taking people from zero to one, right? So for those people, you really needed to have the uh, the, the bumpers up so that uh, they were not creating or building something that was going off the rails, uh, so to speak. So I think that was more of like a process-oriented template, but it was a template nonetheless, and it also uh, it helped people uh, stay on track need to. On the dashboard side, definitely, um, I think having those templates are super useful and those style guides defined so that people are not wasting time, you know, uh, picking different fonts and, you know, using colors that are not um, tested for, you know, uh, accessibility or whatnot. So, yeah, so most of the time we stick to what we've designed and built for others. I think it's just, it's such a handy tool, particularly for someone that's newer in the role or maybe a younger analyst coming along to not only have some sort of guidance in terms of some of that formalization, but also just the exposure jobs work. Um, At my old job, uh, it was fairly uh, siloed. So there were some sections where there were a lot of really developed analysts and they'd work together a lot. So they've all sort of come up together in terms of skills. And then there'd be pockets of other analysts that would like exist off to the side in a different department. And because Mm -hmm. these departments hadn't all sort of figured out how to like lift each other together yet, they were all at sort of different levels. And I remember at one point um, I was asked to sort of uh, look at a younger analyst's work and give him some feedback and stuff. And uh, they were talking about, oh man, like our senior leader really loves what he's made. And um, the dashboard that I saw uh, was like a tabular view that was like 50 rows across and like uh, like 150 tall. So it was like scrolling both vertically and horizontally, which was already sort of like, oh boy. Um, because, you know, but the craziest part about it was he had chosen uh, at my old organization, like our one of our signature colors is sort of a burgundy red. He had chosen burgundy red as the background. So oh. the first thing you looked at when you looked at the viz was anything except the data. 
So like a, a pretentive attribute unintentionally drawing <laughs> fire away from the very thing that they're supposed to be coming there to look at. So, you know, just stuff like that, where like, if you don't know any better, you're, you're thinking like, I'm doing something good. I'm using a br- one of the brand colors. Like they're, they encourage yeah. me to do that. So I'm putting it on here. But, you know, unfortunately, instead of using the brand color to say, hey, this is kind of an alert color. What if I use this when something like a KPI falls outside of, you know, the acceptable range? Like that'd be a great use for that color. But instead it unintentionally became the focus of the entire thing. And it's, I think about that and I I feel bad because I'm like, oh man, how many people are out there that haven't uh, that support within their own organization or alternatively haven't found these sort of online communities that exist around data where they could just be looking at all of the great stuff that's out there and then yeah. saying, oh, I didn't know I could do that. I bet I could make that same thing. Um, I think it's super important for people to have a repository or a reference of what good looks like, right? Whether it's a, you know, a redacted example, but um, yeah, just something to, to aim for, right? And um, having that community, whether it's online or even something that's replicated inside the work environment is such an important uh Thing to have in an organization, especially one that's trying to push, you know, a visual analytics culture forward. Yeah, it's really important to sort of know the rules. And they're obviously sort of, we've got our books of rules, right? We've got the big book of dashboards and stuff, but we also sort of have the stylistic rules. Like if you go out there and look, you'll see plenty of stuff that works that might not have, you know, fallen within the bounds of like the holy tomes yeah. of data analysis, right? But it's by exposure to so many of the things that work that you start sort of weeding out some of the bad habits. We also make bad dashboards sometimes. And sometimes you're you're told to make a dashboard that you might not necessarily love something about. And that's just reality, right? Um, but at the end of the day, you want something that, you know, sort of pushed the user um, to greater insight. And that's the real objective. Like if it wasn't something you necessarily loved every aspect of, that's not necessarily the goal every time. That's that's why we do public work, because then you're the editor and you can make it anything you want. But I really do think um, I, I go back to the analogy of my old Sunday school teacher who was the uh, Secret Service agent that uh, talked about counterfeit money. And the reason he knew counterfeit money was they just made them handle so much real money until the counterfeit money just didn't feel right. And like, that's the same thing with data viz, like see enough good data viz and you'll know when something doesn't look or feel right. You might not be able to say why exactly at first, but you'll get there. And hopefully you won't make that one yourself. You're you're totally right. And I think the internet and I think social media, uh, and uh, well, especially the data fan community in general, uh, it kind of takes that concept and like makes it, uh, multiplies it by a thousand fold, right? Where you've got this worldwide community of not just people who are super encouraging, but people who will, you know, give you feedback and who will, who will actually challenge you. And I don't know about you, but this year, like, it's, it's, it's kind of been intimidating how high the bar has been, uh, been raised week in and week out. Just everyone is just kind of like, you know, putting out winners every week. So um, yeah, I think that's super important that people are exposed to that kind of healthy um, community and just exposure to, to, to work and not necessarily just good work, but also bad work and uh, a community that will kind of guide you and support you through that. Well, I mean, I think like, I almost think of the data fam as like classes that are coming through. I know that's not a good way to think of it because there are plenty of people that just show up on your radar, but have 15 years of experience. 
you know, but I think like you emerged sort of into my vision and it's not representative of how long you've been around, around the same time as like Steven Shoemaker and like Autumn Batani and like Agatha and like several other people. So like there was sort of, I think of all of you as like, oh, you guys appeared around the same time. And all of a sudden, like all of you had these distinct voices. You all came in like really fully formed and all of a sudden we're just cranking on amazing work from people that I had not seen or heard of before. Like for, I'm talking like each of you from like your first viz. I'm like, wow, that's really good. How have I never heard of this person before? And I don't know if um, more people are sort of discovering the data fam or putting up public work after they've had more years of experience or alternatively are sort of uh, getting an extra leg up just from some of the work that they've seen behind them. And are, uh, like, what, what's your experience? Were you doing um, a lot of data visualization prior to you uh, joining Tableau yeah, Public? So Great question. And I, I think w what would probably help here is kind of like a, I guess, a, sh a short crash, co crash course in terms of my journey into analytics in the first place. So I think I mentioned earlier, um, I come from an, an accounting background, spent half my career in accounting. Um, and uh, when I moved to Australia three years ago, um, I, I felt like I was in a new, new country, new office. I, I figured that I'd start to see and explore what other options there there are within the firm or within the, the network. And I've always kind of had an eye out for data, data, data visualization and analytics. So I just, you know, I sent some cold emails around, see if who would give me a shot <laughs> at it. Uh, and um, uh, long story short, a, a partner and a manager in our data practice then uh, saw kind of like the enthusiasm and the interest in me. And um I showed him some of my fancy Excel workbooks. And when I say fancy, it's probably like not that great, but it was enough to kind of sh show them that like, hey, like I can I can learn and I can take things further. And uh, yeah, and I basically just got thrown into the deep end. I be, I had two weeks where I had to learn all tricks on Tableau and deliver a client engagement from zero experience, but it was the best two weeks of my life. Like I, I, I'm pretty sure I worked like 18 hour days uh, every day for two weeks, but it was just, it felt like I finally found my, my niche and the, the thing that I really wanted to do. And from there, it was about uh, just continuing to practice and continuing to apply what I was uh, learning. And interesting enough, uh, so I started off with Tableau and Alteryx as my kind of first, my first foray into this field. But for the next two years, uh, I became very focused on Alteryx and automation in general, because uh, as an auditor, um, we, uh, it was a lot of the, the, the quick wins were around automating, you know, repeatable tasks and whatnot. So based on my background, I felt that, hey, that would be a good focus. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, I actually got the nickname uh, Robocop because with my last name, it, it was <laughs> very weird. It, it, that became a, a thing. Uh, and then when I went back to Toronto, um, uh, again, I felt, I felt like I was in a new office, new environment. Uh, and um, I really felt like I've kind of hit the ceiling when it, when it came to automation. Uh, so I figured that I would like to revisit my, I guess my true love, maybe my first love, which was data viz and what got me interested in the first place. And, um, for some reason, I, I, have heard of makeover Monday through, um, through the grapevine somewhere. And I decided to hop on Twitter and see what was going on. And I was just blown away. I'm like, Whoa, there's like, there's a whole gang of people here. Just like, you know, they're crazy about data viz. Right. So, um, I kind of I started to kind of just get involved. Um, at this time, I was about two years removed from Tableau. So even though I had some of the fundamentals and stuff like that, um, it, it it took a, a while for me to just get get a 
hang of visiting again. Um, and yeah, so moved back and then essentially just continued to participate in Makeover Monday. And that was what helped me ease in and see, uh, take inspiration from others and what was happening in the community. And and yeah, and you know, um, the rest is history, I guess. You can- I like how casually in your story, you drop moving across the world twice. <laughs> Like that's not a big deal in the story. No, it's and it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy um, because it is it is a big it is a big move and um, it's it's been life changing and I'm I'm definitely super grateful that those things happened and uh, yeah I've certainly grown a lot as not just as a professional but as a uh, person as well you know these moves happened with my family and my wife as well so we we grew a lot as a family unit and. Um, yeah, so yeah, definitely. I know I glossed over it, but those those are pretty big, big, big milestones. That's really awesome. It's it's exciting to hear everyone's path because I see so many people that have come from all sorts of different backgrounds and all sort of ended up not in the same practice per se, but using these same techniques and tools. Like all of us might be working with different kinds of data, but we're all sort of data explorers and adventurers in our careers. Um, but then in our free time, we're uh, we're continuing that exploration with our own personal curiosity. Um, what are your favorite topics to viz about? Like what gets you fired up? I do see public exercises in here. Like I see some makeover Mondays. I also see some sports. I see a couple of basketball visits, which were particularly striking. And I was actually curious about those as well as I divert you away from the question I was already asking, <laughs> which is, where do you get the awesome data showing where people are taking shots from? I'm always fascinated. Yeah, by so that. that one was uh, courtesy of Zach Geis. Uh, so it was part of a Sports Viz Sunday uh, uh, project back in June, I believe, and where he basically gifted the community with five million shots uh, that were that were taken from 1997 all the way to 2019. And for me, that was like being like a kid in the candy store because I'm like, wow, this is the history of. I guess you know the past twenty years in in data form, right? So, so that's where it got. And um, uh, I believe the way to to get that data is through an API that uh, links to, to the uh, NBA stats uh, website. So um, yeah, and I think it's it's pretty well documented. Um, but I kind of just leveraged Zach's great work from there. But I'm cer- certainly a topic that I'm keen on um, uh, building on further uh, in the coming years. So I think you got at least two visas out of that same data set, if I'm correct. But the one I found particularly interesting, and I got sucked into the story you were telling that I had to keep reading it. And I'm saying that as someone that could care less about basketball, but the rise of the step back, just sort of you exploring the phenomenon of the shifting shooting habits in the NBA. I'm like, wow, like I, I didn't realize there was this story here to tell just by examining where people are. Yeah, shooting. no, and it's quite... Um... And I, I think that's what I, I love about this in general is there's there's all of these um, narratives that happen uh, at every facet and level of of the game and um, and I think um, as you know it, it's 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 a game where people innovate fairly frequently and to me uh, that that's what keeps it exciting and they're probably the mo- oh don't quote me on this but they're probably one of the more uh, advanced when it comes to tracking data as well like just uh, you know uh, being able to track advanced analytics advanced stats advanced metrics um so it really helps i think people get into uh, the game as well as well as understand more of the intricacies that happen in the background and one of it was the fact that they were tracking different types of shot motions that was that to me that was a uh, that's a pretty detailed level uh, to to be collecting do you have a white whale data set? And let me explain that. Um, 
I think you know my friend Vince Baumel, but Vince has been collecting Jeopardy data for like years and he still has gaps in his data set. His like white whale is the complete Jeopardy questions, answers, and like wow. everything data sets the dawn of time, which unfortunately might be drawing to an end now with the passing of Alex yeah. Rebecca. But um, do you have a, a data set like, man, if I could get my hands on that, that would be like my That's dream? That's a great question. Um I probably have a white whale in uh, the different domains that I'm interested in. So uh, when it comes to uh, the NBA in, in particular, um, I, I, data on like um, uh, like passing angles or like things like that, or just basically even even more crazy detail than, than what is currently available, right? Um, you know, there's also this. It'll, it'll probably never happen, but the concept of um, like biometrics, like like uh, how how you know how tired someone is like at this point of the game and what's their performance, things like that. Um, yeah, so I, I know it exists because uh, er, er, earlier last year, um, the app that I've used that I used to watch the games uh, gave me this like beta view where uh, um, real in real time a halo or a bar uh, or a bar would appear on top of the player's head. To, telling them their shot percentage depending on where they were standing on the court. And this was real time. So I'm like, wow. So it's, wow. Being, it's being tracked and it's definitely there. Um, yeah. So that would be my white whale in, in the NBA. And I think I'm actually quite into finance uh, 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 data, like stock market and stuff like that. So um, to, to me, like a white whale data set would be like, yeah, just being able to access uh, and every single uh, uh, metric related to like the stock market, like going all the way back, uh, you know, very detailed data set. Um, yeah, it's probably a lot more uh, that I can think of. Um, and one last thing would be music. So I, I think Spotify does a great job of kind of going and uh, sharing data that's been extracted from an algorithmic standpoint. But uh, yeah, to actually be able to extract data from like, the masters of like a, you know, a, a track, like, you know, uh, I don't know if you know, uh, there's this artist um, who I'm really grown fond, fond of, his name is uh, Jacob Collier. So he's yeah. kind of like a, a music polymath. Um, so he would have these songs that would have a logic session uh, that's that's got 600 tracks. So to me, I'm mean, like the metadata behind those 600 tracks, like where, where he, what, what, what instruments he's using or like what, you know, that would be a pretty rich data set, but I know with with music with master that's that's pretty uh, uh, that's a that's a pretty uh, hard knocks uh, type data that people probably won't ha- want to have their hands on. <laughs> I wish people could have seen your face as you talked about these because you like you lit up <laughs> like your room literally got brighter. <laughs> as you you talked about each of these and kept going. I mean, I, I have the same curiosity about music. In fact, I would love to be able to better visualize music. And I'm always fascinated when someone can create a viz about music itself. I mean, we talk about music industry sales, you know, albums all the time, but to actually visualize the music, I've always struggled with that. How do you, how do you get that data? I mean, are you extracting it? I mean, if it's digital music, it's probably significantly easier, but you know, it's, it's a fascinating thing. So I think there's, there's so many things that can be quantified and expressed in our world these days. And we're only getting better Correct. at capturing yeah. that, that the opportunities are uh, no, endless. totally, totally. And I think, uh, I, I think that's what being in data viz or, uh, is, a, is an exciting time right now. Cause, um, as the, the the not just the volume of data but the type of data that we that we'll be able to get, get our hands on increases and improves 
um, you'll need people at the helm to be able to you know, visualize that and tell those stories in the future. So what would you say your, um, your favorite viz that you have made is at this point? I mean, do you have a favorite or is that like picking a favorite? Yeah, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of like picking a favorite child because each and every viz, um, I've, I, I really kind of put my heart and soul to it. Um, there's, uh, there's certain ones that have probably struck a chord more so than others. And I think my favorite one would probably be the exonerations in America viz that I, that I did. Um, and that one, um, uh, it was, uh, a topic that was heavy, I think for many at the, at the time and still is. And, um, there were a lot of, uh, documentaries and movies that came out around that topic and just seeing the, the reality of what was what was happening in this space kind of uh, moved me to see if there's anything I can do and use my platform platform for to kind of chime in on uh, the story. And um, uh, thankfully, there was a, uh, a, a an amazing organization that was already kind of on the forefront of uh, following the um, you know the updates and the things that were happening in the space and they were also collecting data in this space. So uh, it just made, made it a lot easier to kind of um, to get, take that data and then tell a story out of it. What, um, what came first with this viz? I mean, obviously it's a very striking viz visually. It's got some unique elements with the bars with sort of jittered dots on them. Where did that idea for that particular chart? Come yeah. From? So um, I think, this viz was my first foray into the whole concept of like data humanization, right? And um, you know, after learning more about this issue, um, I really felt that it was important to um, for the people behind the data to really be uh, represented in this in this work in this viz. And I felt that you know, using the 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 bar chart was there kind of to, to, to tell you the overall um, trend and the overall magnitude of this issue, but then being able to layer in uh, dots and, and, and bubbles in this bar chart and each bubble essentially represented a, an exoneree. I thought that was an important part to kind of um, tell uh, and show the world like who, who, who's behind the, the data. I think that's a brilliant touch because I think in any kind of data set, it's very easy to take the bar as representative as the whole. But I mean, in this case, it's human years lost. I mean, in your business practice that you're working on, it may be how late a work order is, you know, and there might be that one work order that's 170 days past due, that if you don't find a way to express that beyond the bar, they never know just how bad some of these are. But I mean, looking at the bars themselves, it's very easy to forget the people behind yeah. the bars. And by actually putting the dots on here and then, you know, applying size to the weight. So you're seeing the size of some of these dots. And I'm looking at one particular man that was lost 46 years of his life in prison and was exonerated. I mean, it's tragic. And I would not know that story if well not for the visit in the first place but if not for your choice to actually like bring the people to the front of the story which i think was a brilliant and poignant touch to the yeah, entire thing thank you and i'm glad that um it, it, that you were able to kind of uh see that story come through and i and um i i do hope and i and i think people uh, felt the same way as well when, when they first attracted with this viz uh yeah and I'm, and I'm just glad to be able to kind of add to that conversation and shed some light into this topic I really appreciate that. Well, we're running out of time, 
but I wanted to thank you for coming. This has been a really wonderful conversation. I can't believe we haven't done it uh, up until this point. But as we're wrapping up, I wanted to ask, is there anything you'd like to promote or anyone you'd like to shout out before we finish um, up today? I'd say uh, nothing particular to promote, but uh, honestly, like uh, first and foremost, let's be sound cheesy, but uh, like I really actually want to really thank God just for kind of weaving, you know, my journey uh, to where it's at these days. Like it's one of those things I'm, I, I know, like I mentioned earlier, like I kind of gloss over those moves across the world, but a lot of that really was not planned. Right. And to me, I feel like every moment in my life so far has just been this a connection of dots that were seemingly unrelated at first, but now that looking back, uh, it's all connected. And um, and from there, I just want to thank, I guess, my my wife as well, just for all her support and uh, for kind of sticking with me through my journey, all the transitions I made. And she's been a big fan of my visits as well. A lot of the times she becomes the first reviewer <laughs> in all of my visits and she gives me honest feedback. So thank you. And for my... Uh, uh, my my old bosses, uh, uh, Stu and Brett, uh, they really gave me uh, that shot three years ago. Uh, someone who had no business being in an analytics, uh, and that really kind of set me into a different path. And uh, so, I thank you. And for the data fam in general, um, discovering this community, this one of one community, has just been a breath of fresh air this year. And even, you know, in spite of what happened with the whole quarantine, uh, this was really a bright spot. And um, I, I want, it's, it's always tricky to mention names, but I, I did want to shout out Kevin Flerlidge, who's been a, uh, a mentor and one of the first people who've, uh, who really started to kind of um, champion my work and support and give me feedback. And uh, yeah, and last but not least, uh, thank you, Zach, again, for this opportunity to be on the pod. Uh, there's just so many other people I'd like to mention that I have made friends with. I mean, I think we kind of joked about this earlier, but Stephen Shoemaker has been a, a, um, a good um, uh, uh, friend throughout this process as well. We certainly uh, chat a lot and exchange a lot of ideas and kind of push uh, each other along this journey as well. So yeah, but too many more to name. You know who you are. Thank you so much. JR is going to give me a list for the uh, the show notes, so it's going to be extensive. But thank you for coming, man. I really love this. Let's talk Sounds again good. soon. Exactly. See ya. Data Plus Love is recorded and produced by Zach Bowders. Our music track is We Are Legends by Alex Stoner. Hey, you're still here? Um, you're probably waiting for like the next podcast uh, to kick in, probably something better. Um, thanks for hanging on. Anyway, if you're picking up what we're putting down, uh, consider buying us a cup of coffee on ko-fi.com slash D-A-T-A-P-L-U-S-L-O-V-E. Um, just, you know, drop $3 in our tip bucket. It helps us buy better equipment. It helps us uh, pay for razor blades to keep me from looking like a wolf man. And it keeps uh, Mark's head looking so shiny and beautiful. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll never put anything behind a paywall. And thanks for your patronage. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end. I really appreciate you listening to the Data Plus Love podcast. If you'd like to see more about what we're up to with the show, go to anchor.fm slash data plus love. Just spell it out, not a literal plus sign. 
Here you'll be able to see our library of episodes as well as interact with them either through polls or comments or leave a voicemail message that I'll put on an episode. You can interact with me personally by joining me on Twitter. I'm at Zach Bowders, not hard to hunt down. And if you like what you're hearing, consider leaving a tip for us or signing up for a small monthly donation at our ko-fi.com slash data plus love. Buying a cup of coffee for the show is just $3 and you can get more if you choose or sign up to give that $3 or more monthly. Either way, I really appreciate it. Lastly, if you'd like to see more of my public data viz work, check me out on Tableau Public. So go to public.tableau.com and search for Zach Bowders. I'm the only one you won't have trouble finding me. I promise. So thanks again for hanging on to the end of the show. I really appreciate all of your listens. And until next time, this has been Zach Bowders for the Data Plus Love Network.